following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. It's great to be with you today. And you know what's really fun for me is being here with all these kids. Can we just, I know they just left the room. Can we just give a big hand to all the kids that were in service? You know, I, uh, I know Father's Day is next week, but I got to tell you, for me as a pastor, and I've been a pastor all of my adult life, one of the things I love most is, is, is kids. And just watching, watching little babies in the nursery grow and to see them grow over time and getting to see them eventually, you know, become adults and just all the stuff that they learn and what they, what they get. That's one of the great values of being part of a church like this. But I, I've been collecting these little snippets. Oh, by the way, we're going to be in John chapter 11 in just a second. But I got I to gotta share with this with you because I was watching these kids. I thought about this and I'm just going to... These are, these are just things that I've, I've picked up about... Kids on church, God, religion, and prayer. Okay, these are real things that kids have said. Here's the first one. Three-year-old Reese prays this way. Our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. Amen. <laughs> a little boy, I like this. A little boy was overheard praying, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time on my own as it is. So. <laughs> Uh, After the christening of baby brother in church, Jason sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, that preacher said he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home and I wanted to live with you guys. Uh, I had been uh, teaching my three-year-old daughter, Caitlin, the Lord's Prayer for several evenings at bedtime. She would repeat after me the lines from the prayer. Finally, she decided to go solo. I listened with pride as she carefully enunciated each word right up to the end of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, she prayed, but deliver us from some email. Amen. <laughs> How many can relate to that? Yeah. Our four-year-old prayed this. He says, and forgive us our trash, our trash baskets as we forgive who, those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> I had a lot of truth to that if you think that went through. The six-year-old uh, Angie and her four-year-old brother Joel were sitting together in church. Joel giggled and sang, goofed off, talked out loud. Finally, her big sister had had enough. She said, you're not supposed to talk out loud in church. Why? Who's going to stop me? Joel asked. Angie pointed to the back of the church and said, See those two men standing by the door? They're hushers. (laughs) Couple more. A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin, age five, and Ryan, age three. The boys began to fight over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kenny turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) Last one. (laughs) A wife invited some people to dinner. At the table, she turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, the girl replied. Just say what you hear mommy say. 
the wife answered. The daughter bowed her head and said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? So, all right, stand with me, would you please? I want to read to you real quick from John chapter 11. And it's a long passage, about 44 verses, but, uh, you know... Anything that I say is going to be way less important than what God says right here. So what I have to say is going to be pretty short, but this is a really, really important passage. And it's all about time. It's from John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Just follow along and picture this. And if you've heard it a million times, picture it as if you've never heard it before. Picture it in real life. Uh, Here's verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This Mary, was Laz- whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I was glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you what you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though he die, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposed that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Jesus reached the place where, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had all been weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? 
he asked. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of the Jews said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a stone. It was a cave with a stone laid at the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He has been dead for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this out loud for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Go ahead and be seated. Take out your little note sheet that you uh, found when you came into church right here. I want you to jot down three simple, simple things about time. First one is this. The Lord has a different clock than ours. Have you noticed that? The Lord has a different clock than ours. If you looked at his wristwatch, his wristwatch looks different than ours. It, 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 It appears different. He's not bound by the confines of time. He created time. He understands time. He understands how time affects us. But he himself is beyond time. And he delights in doing great things based on his sense of perfect timing rather than being jerked around by our narrow, locked-in, regimented, limited understanding of time. I have observed, in fact, that some of God's greatest miracles are great precisely because of, of timing. I mean, think about this one. Think about that great story of, of, the, of the Red Sea opening. And what if, what, if, what if a few days before, Moses had sent out his scouts and said, you know, take a look at what's ahead and see, see what we've got to deal with. What if the scout came back the day or two before they got to the Red Sea and said, Man, we just saw the craziest thing. We were standing there in front of the Red Sea thinking, how are we going to get through this? We saw the Red Sea open and then we saw it close. Well, I mean, that would be a strange phenomena, but it wouldn't do them any good. Or what if, what if they would have got there and the Red Sea wouldn't have opened at the right time? If it would open too late, Pharaoh's armies would have crushed them. Or what if it opened on time, but it closed too early? They would have gotten swallowed up. Or what if it opened and stayed open too long, and Pharaoh's armies were able to come all the way across and continue to pursue Israel? Timing is everything. And I've noticed that a big part of the way God works in my life is about timing. Now, I have a hard time with that. I struggle with that because I'm not real smart, okay? Now, this morning... At the hotel, I, I actually bought myself some smart water. And I finally figured out my problem all my life is I've just been drinking dumb water. Now, now I'm drinking smart water, so I'm getting it now. But it's hard to get it sometimes when it comes to the whole thing about God's timing. In this story, it's about timing as well. It's about Jesus being four days late, and yet at the same time, he's right on time. It's about a situation where it looks like Jesus isn't aware of what's going on, but he's, he's so aware, so beyond aware. 
To me, one of the most amazing things about this story, just from a human perspective, is the response that Jesus gives to these people about his very dear friend. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus is completely God and completely human all at the same time. That blows our mind. But part of that means that just like all of us humans, he had friends, okay? And Mary and Martha and Lazarus were deep personal friends of Jesus. So he gets this word from these messengers, the one who you love is sick. And by the way, that word sick in the Greek doesn't mean, oh, he's got a cold and, you know, he's not going to be able to make it to the, to the big event. It, it literally meant he is at death's door. That's, so when they said that word sick, everybody heard it, death's door. And Jesus responds this way. He says, this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. The Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus lays it all out right there. He laying out. He says, this horrific thing, this isn't unto death. You just watch. This thing is going to be for God's glory. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so. Now, whenever I read the word so, that's a different word than the word but. Okay? The word but means Forget everything I just said. Here's the truth, right? Okay? But kind of disconnects it, overcomes that. So is a connecting word. It means all of this. So the natural response is this. So here's how I would have read this. So when he heard that his friend was sick, he so... He grabbed all his gear, he rented the fastest horses, and he rode like the wind to Bethany. Is that what it says? Was that the story? That that was your audience response moment, okay? Was that what it said in the Bible? No. So, he prayed to the Father who instantaneously transported him like Star Trek... To the bed. I'm sorry. I love Star Trek. I can't help it. It's a bad. I know. It's just me. I'm okay. So I'm all right now. Transported him immediately to the bedside of his friend. Is that what it says? There's your moment again. Is that what it says? No. Doesn't say that. What it says is that when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days where he was, knowing what was going on. He stayed where it was a purposeful delay. And it wasn't like Jesus had overbooked himself and it took him two days to get unhooked from all of his commitments. In fact, we don't read of anything important that took place during those two days. It was just a time of waiting. And during that delay, listen, during that delay, Lazarus died. After two days of waiting around, Jesus finally says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I'm going to go to wake him out of sleep. And the disciples didn't understand. I mean, Jesus was confusing them all the time. And they said, well, if he sleeps, that's a good thing. He's recuperating. He needs his rest, right? And finally, Jesus says, listen, no, our friend Lazarus is dead. He's dead. I'm glad you weren't there. And so uh, they've got to really think, wow, this had to mess with their minds. I mean, they knew that Jesus and Lazarus was close. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal. And that seemed like an equation that just didn't fit. Maybe they thought that Jesus was afraid to travel because it meant that he had to go through Jerusalem. And the Jews had already said that they were going to kill Jesus if he came back to Jerusalem. Maybe they were afraid of that. But after two days, he said, okay, he's dead. Now we can go. So that apparently wasn't the issue. Martha didn't understand. When Martha showed up, she was consumed with her own grief. How could she understand? She couldn't have known any better. She, listen, she had faith. 
in Jesus, but her faith was decidedly narrow. If you would have been here, then my brother had not died. Now, anytime you see the words if and then, that's a formula, right? We do this with God a lot. If you would do this, then this would happen. And she did what a lot of us do. All of us do something. We kind of reduce God to our formula. How many times have you been through this? You, you, you go through a crisis, you pray, you send out your message. Hey, God, you know, I'm in big trouble down here. And you kind of describe everything just in case, you know, God missed some of the facts around the case. You know, I was like, we, we try to explain everything to God so God gets it, you know. We pray, we do all the stuff we know how to do, and it doesn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. Have you ever been there? I have. And it can mess with you. It can leave you doubting yourself. You can doubt the, the validity of prayer. You find yourself doubting your faith. You might even find yourself doubting the very existence of God. You see, I think, I think it's easy to be like Martha. We have a faith in Jesus, and it's a faith to be sure, but it's calculated, and it's conditioned, and you look for it to happen in a certain way and in a certain time, and when it doesn't happen that way, you begin to doubt, which leads me to number two. You want to jot this one down as well. Okay, go ahead. Here it is. The Lord is always doing more than we can understand. That's part of the whole time thing. God's always doing more than we can understand. You see, here, Jesus was committed to a greater miracle than either Mary or Martha could have dreamed. Now, admittedly, Jesus had already raised two people from the dead by this time. He'd raised a little girl and he'd raised a, a young man from the dead. But in the Jewish, and this is hard for us because we don't have this kind of uh, background, but in the Jewish understanding of death, it was one classification of death to have been just, you know, just mostly dead or just, or just dead for a day or two. But being dead for three days or more meant that you not only had to conquer death, but you had to conquer the grave. And in their minds, that was a huge uh, leap from anything else. So this, is a, this really messed with them. But Jesus was committed to something that was greater than what they were asking for. And not only that, what's crazy about this is when you step back from it like we can do, what we see is that this miracle was part of the, the synchromesh timing of God, kind of like, kind of like little, little gears inside of a watch, where he's not only doing what he's doing in the moment, but he's doing something way beyond the moment that actually affects Every person in this room say, how? Well, because when Jesus did this miracle, this miracle was the event that created the impetus to push the Jewish leaders to ask for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which would take place just two weeks later. This set everything into motion. So this, this event that was four days late, but right on time, really, by God's way, all of this tied together in the culminating act of all of human history that God had decided from the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would come to this earth. And even though some ungodly Jewish leaders had a hand in it, actually the big hands of God were working the gears. And this resurrection of Lazarus is part of our connection to our resurrection. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
What, what we saw today with these beautiful children getting baptized, the reason they could come to Christ was because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that moment was brought into an impetus because of what had taken place in that miracle. And it was beyond anything they could understand. Because he's always doing something way bigger. It's like playing, it's like, you know, we're playing one-dimensional chess. I love chess, you know, you, you really think it through. You've you got to drink your smart water first. And, then you, and, you, and you, you're watching everything. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, we're playing three-dimensional chess. Okay? God sees stuff. In the bigger picture of life. He sees things because he is outside of time. He understands how things interwork and how things work down the road. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Which brings me to observation number three. The solution to your situation is always a person, not a plan. The solution to your situation is always a person. It's never a plan. When Martha ran out to meet Jesus, I see a highly emotional Martha. I see her beating on the chest of Jesus. Lord, if you'd have been here sooner, where were you? Why did it take so long? Why did you wait? I see an exhausted Martha. She had been grieving for four days, plus all this stuff, you know, up until the death. She's just exhausted. I see her collapsing into the arms of Jesus when she has nothing, no, nothing left. And she says, why, where were you? Look at the Lord's response. He doesn't rebuke her. You know, I love that about the Lord. When we struggle to believe, he says, well, where's your faith, woman? Why, how can you doubt me? He doesn't do that at all. He just simply says, your brother will rise again. And then she does. What we tend to do is she spiritualizes the moment. Well, I know he's going to rise at the resurrection of the last day. No, no, no. She says, Jesus says this, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He didn't say, I can show you the resurrection. He pointed to himself and said, I am the resurrection. He didn't say, I will show you the way. I am the way. He didn't say, I can lead you to life. He said, I am the life. The solution to our problem isn't the plan. It's a person. The answer is not something. It's someone. You see, it's very normal, very human to create plans. All of us do. I think that's the way that we were wired. It's it's helped us to get from point A to point B. And then we always have to have a backup plan. But you know, in life, ultimately, our faith has to rest in a person, not in an if-then formula or not in some kind of plan that we can create. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling a lot of anxiety about um, your security right now. In spite of this recovery that's kind of shaky, there's a lot of folks thinking, I don't know what the future is going to look like. Maybe you're an employer and you are looking at some things and think, you know what, I'm going to have to lay some people off. And that weighs on you because you love them and you worry about them. Maybe some of you are here today and you're worried about a marriage that just seems shaky or, or like something's drifting a bit. Maybe you're here and you've got uh, children or grandkids and they're not doing well. And they seem to be closed off from everything that's good, but they seem to be taking in and be open to everything that's not so good. And it frightens you. And you worry all the time. 
You worry because you're an unspiritual person? No. You worry because you care and you love them. But I want you to understand that our faith isn't in a plan. It's not in a philosophy. It's not in a religion. It's in a person. His name is Jesus.